I'd like to talk uh, from this text about being ready for the coming of the king and about how uh, oftentimes the coming of the king is different than what you might expect. I want to address three topics. The one is the reality of darkness in our world. The second one is the nature of light. And then thirdly, what it means to actually receive the light and how easily we can miss the light. So the reality of darkness, the nature of the light, and on missing the light. Let's talk about darkness. God's promise comes to a people in darkness, it says in Isaiah 9 here. They're under threat from the nations around them, much greater and more powerful. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the people of God. They're despondent. They're in that low emotional state, wondering how in the world are they going to meet the challenges that are coming upon them. They don't have the resources in themselves, and they doubt that there are any resources out there to be able to meet those challenges. And then to kind of make things worse, all of their circumstances are a result of their own turning away from God. I wonder this morning, as we think about these things, as we consider their plight, I wonder if there's some darkness in our lives as well. What kinds of threats are we facing this morning as we sit here and worship? What kind of uncertainties are over our lives? Are there any places in your life where you feel a bit despondent, low, because you can't picture how you could come out of the circumstances that you're presently in? And is there a sense that some or maybe all of your struggles are a result of your own choices. This is a hard thing about Christianity, about the Christian faith. It's a hard thing and a good thing, ultimately. But Christianity initially is an invitation for us to come to terms with our own deficiencies. You've you, you got to understand this about the faith. It's, it's an invitation to come to terms with our own deficiencies, our, our having turned our backs on God, our having um, committed sin, our having um, walked down the path of, of darkness ourselves. Uh, and that's a hard thing for us to do as people. We would much rather put all of that into the background, tuck it away in a closet or ignore it and pretend that it's not really there. But that's a superficial kind of a life. And the difficult but beautiful invitation of God is for us to come to grips with the darkness that we have contributed in this world, our own sinfulness. And just like the people of God needed to do that in this circumstance, we are being invited to do the same. And it's ultimately a very hopeful thing because there is a way through the darkness. There's a way through our own sin. There's a way through our own deficiencies And God will have that way, but we've got to acknowledge them first and foremost. Now, most of us sitting in this room, we have to uh, acknowledge our fairly privileged. The way that um, culture is in this place is such that we have been given blessing and opportunity more than uh, many people in our world. And some of us may be tempted to interpret that as a sign that we've done well, that maybe our deficiencies are less, that maybe we haven't been as bad as as others. And therefore, we have blessing, and we have the privilege, and we have the opportunity that we have. That's a real temptation 
for us. And that happens when we don't understand the standard by which we're to evaluate ourselves and the perfection that Christ is. And it's easy for us then to compare ourselves to others and think, well, maybe we haven't done things so badly as others have. But what if, just what if, what God is doing in blessing us and giving us the privilege and the opportunity and the gifts and the resources to be able to do the things that we've done, what if God's intention all along was for us to be the kind of people who would help others? The, the reason we have is to give to others. And instead of giving, we're hoarding. What if that's what's really happening in our world right now and in this place right now? And if that's the case, then we have contributed greatly to the darkness of our world. We're part of it. And this is the, the reality we have to come to grips with as we approach God. It's, it's a difficult but a beautiful kind of reality. We all have a share in the darkness of the world. That's what the scripture teaches And into that darkness, God promises a king. And if you look at the end of the section that I read in verses 6 and 7, we get this beautiful description of what this king will be like. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So this human will be divine, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, reaching to the deepest longings of our hearts for there to be peace. We think of all the brokenness in our world right now. I can't help but think of Aleppo and what's going on and all the lives. We, we long for peace and the promises for the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, nothing will stop it from taking place because it's backed. This plan is backed by the zeal of the Lord himself, the strength and the desire of the Lord himself. It's an exalted vision of the king and what the king will do and how the darkness will be scattered and all of the longings of our hearts being met in this Lord. Now, what happens then when this king comes is what leads us to the next question. What is the nature of the light? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We have it outlined for us in this text. But what exactly is this light like in real terms, in actual terms? And, and the birth of this light is recorded on the opening pages of the New Testament. And so um, if you'd like, you could turn over a few pages uh, to Luke 2, or I can just read it. You've probably heard this. Um, many times in your life, and so it'll sound familiar to you. We have the, the coming of this king outlined for us in the very beginning of the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, right before the, the piece that uh, was read for us earlier this morning, says this on verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Remember King David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn. This is that son that's been promised. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. And the striking element of this is the disconnect between the picture that we had in Isaiah 9. And what we're encountering here in the New Testament. In the coming of the king. There's a disconnect between the two. Um, the promise of this great and powerful king um, is seemingly fulfilled in the coming of this child in very humble place. Now, there, there, there are, are signs of royalty throughout the text. He's in the lineage of David. But he comes into a land that is under the thumb, the authoritarian rule of the Romans. There's already a king, a very, very, very powerful king in the land. And he comes... Parents come from Nazareth, which is nowhere. And he's born to this sort of mundane couple that aren't even married yet. Mary and Joseph. And then when he does come into the world, there's no room for him even. I mean, this is not the opulence of a coming of a king that you would expect. When you read Isaiah 9, where he is no place. And so they put him in the manger, wrap him in cloths. There's a disconnect between what we read in the promise that comes from way back to the reality that we see in the New Testament. And for all his existence, Jesus has surprised in this way. He's always surprised people as being unlikely. That was true in Jesus' day, um, and it's true now. And, And actually, after his birth, things get worse. If we're thinking about Isaiah 9, he grows to be a man and and he ministers to people. He teaches and people come and some respond to him favorably, but many reject him. And the powerful, he's supposed to have the government on his shoulders, but the powerful reject him. The powerful in Israel and the powerful of Rome reject him until finally he finds himself in the position of the very least of society hanging on a cross in death. There is no lower place in Roman society than that. And there we find this supposed king in death on the cross. For all his existence, Jesus has surprised us as unlikely. Then, they didn't understand who he was and it resulted in the cross. And now, all throughout our world, people misunderstand who Jesus is. And we may be some of those people as well. The only one who's not surprised by what happens with Jesus is God himself. If we go back to the book of Isaiah, if we were able to thumb through a bunch of chapters, we would find that God knew exactly what was going to be happening on that cross. In Isaiah 53, we could read the whole chapter, but I'll just read one verse for the sake of time. We read this. About this suffering servant who is identified also as this king out of the anguish of his soul he shall see 
and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is, this is the cross. On that cross, as Jesus hung there, he bore the iniquities as a perfect sacrifice for sin. And by going to the cross, what Jesus has done is he's struck at a, a deep, deep level the problems of our world. You see, the big problems of our world are iniquity and sin and selfishness and lack of love and chasing after idols. These are what's wrong with our world. And the loving, gracious, powerful king understands that. And so the first thing he does is to strike at the core of our greatest problem. And that's what he's doing at the cross. To sacrifice. A loving king will sacrifice himself for his subjects. And that's what this king does. So before he can put the government on his shoulder, he puts the sins of the world on his shoulders. He takes them all so that so he could make a people that could be governed. That's what he's doing. He's making a people who can be governed, who would come to him in faith and have their sins forgiven. That's what the incarnation is about. It's about God entering into this world in this humble way to take on the 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 deepest, darkest sin of this world, to put it on his shoulders and make remedy for it so that he could come again and put the government on his shoulder. I find this to be one of the most compelling things about the Christian faith is as you begin to research and understand what God is doing, at first you find yourself very surprised. I wouldn't have written the story this way, would you? Right? No one would have. And yet, as we sit with it, and it begins to take hold in our souls, we see on a new level how profoundly good it is. And how, yes, God is in fact striking at the deepest problem to fix the core of what's wrong with this world. Not just some superficial government that by coercion makes people do what he wants, but to address the deepest need of humanity. And Jesus Christ, the loving, powerful king, sacrifices himself to do that very thing. There is no better arc. I don't call it a story because it's real, but it's a story. It's a plan. It's a redemptive plan. There is nothing more beautiful than what Jesus has done. And so this is where it kind of comes into play about seeing the light and and not missing what's happening. This is where it all, the rubber meets the road. We're in danger. This is a very important spiritual dynamic If we're ever going to move towards God, we're always in danger of missing what God is doing. We all fall prey to this potential of missing the light, not seeing the light. Because, and here's the big problem with with all of us, is we think we know. We think we know. And so when God comes in a way that's surprising, we miss it. So if you don't want to miss the light, then that's what you need to be careful of. Thinking you know when maybe you don't. This is what was true for the searchers in the film that the kids made. The wild one, do you remember this line? The wild one thought that when the king came, he would have flaming arrows that would tear down the wall. And the kind one thought when the king came, he would be old and have a big white beard and leathery skin. And only the little one understood sort of a different picture. But they didn't, they didn't listen because it wasn't what they expected. 
It was true in Jesus' day as well that the contemporaries of Jesus suffered from this same dynamic. They thought they already knew. And when we think we already know, that's when we get in trouble. And so Jesus comes on the scene and they don't recognize him because maybe they've got this Isaiah 9 kind of image in their mind that a, a Rome crusher would come onto the scene and take care of business, right? And Jesus, the babe, grows and he's a carpenter's son and he teaches and he heals and and he walks around with these 12 others and they're wondering what's going on when are you going to seize the reins of authority you must not be who we thought you were going to be and we don't like what you are and we're going to kill you and reject you it's been going on for all of the existence of Jesus and we suffer from the same thing maybe we haven't been exposed really, to the person of Christ. Uh, I I encounter this in my life here in the Bay Area. Many times I meet somebody who really has, has very little understanding of who Jesus is. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's part of our culture, people who haven't been exposed really to the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this morning, that you just never really had a chance. You, nobody took you to church when you were young. Nobody explained the stories to you. And so um, you're missing something because you just, you just haven't had a chance to know. For some of us, we only know about Jesus through second hand. Somebody has told us um, We've seen stories maybe, or we've heard references in movies and books to the person of Jesus Christ. And so um, we don't really have a clear picture of who he is. Or maybe in the worst case scenario, somebody has told us about Jesus and that person ended up being somebody we didn't respect or somebody who even harmed us in some way. And so we've turned off our openness to the person of Jesus because the vehicle through which we heard about Jesus we didn't respect or, or we even had to reject. Maybe some of us miss what God is doing because we're afraid that if we start to draw close to Christ, that's going to mean we're going to have to change some things about who we are right now, and we're afraid of what that might entail. We don't want to have to change. We don't want to be called to be different. And so we keep Jesus at an arm's length, or, or maybe for some of us, and I think this is very common um, in our area and, and, and with the people that we encounter, and, and maybe some of it in ourselves, we've constructed this, this notion, and whether it's from you know, books we've read or the culture around us or classes we've taken, we've constructed some ideas about how God ought to be. Now, can we just pick that apart a little bit? We, finite human beings with very limited knowledge of the world and how it works, we say, God ought to be like this or that. But when God comes, of course he's going to want to define himself. And we shouldn't be surprised that when he defines himself, which he does in the scriptures, he ends up being different than we anticipated. He doesn't meet our so-called expectations. And that's where we have a choice. Are we going to hang on to our expectations, whatever their dubious source might be, or are we going to let them go and allow God to define himself to us? And just maybe we'll end up seeing he's not what we expected, but 
He's in fact more beautiful, more powerful, and more wonderful than we ever dreamed of. And this is the story of the little one, right, in the film. Everybody thinks they know what the king should be, but the little one has a little different approach. She's humble, of course. She's open to the king being different than what might be expected. And she's attentive. And that's the way forward. That's the path forward for us all. Jesus made it very, very clear. And Miguel, I'm going to invite you to come and um, prepare to sing a song, give us some space to think about this. But Jesus made it very, very clear. Matthew 18, 3 through 4. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what I'd like to do right now is invite you. I'd like to clear a little space. I know we have hectic lives and Christmas is a crazy time and we've got all kinds of pressures on us and maybe shopping and parties and costumes and all this stuff just crowding us in. Let's just clear a little bit of time right here. Miguel's going to sing a song to point us in the right direction. But let's clear a little space for us to be able to um, adopt a childlike posture before God. In humility and openness to, to let God be God, as it were. And to ask Him to come. One of the most significant prayers you could ever pray, and if you haven't prayed ever or in a very, very long time, this is a great prayer to pray, is, is God, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you reveal yourself to me? Some of us have been in this relationship with God for a long time, and it's maybe gotten to a dry season, and maybe we're taking some things for granted in our faith, Or maybe we've had some really hard challenges and and we've allowed those challenges to turn our gaze away from God. We're fearing we can't trust God. And so we have this moment too to come back as a child in humility and, and faith and to say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Show me in your scriptures. Show me in your community who you are. So will you take this moment, and if you need to close your eyes and bow your head, you can do that, and take a time to just pray. Let's just calm down and pray for a little bit and invite God in. And then I'll come back, and I'm going to open the communion table for us this morning.